Welcome back, everyone, to Your Life, God's Word, where we take the principles found in Scripture and we apply them to our everyday lives, those areas that are most important, faith, family, and community. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome back. We are here with another episode and going to be diving into something that's sort of an offshoot of, uh, of a series I'm in the middle of currently. And uh, so hopefully you'll find it uh, you'll find it interesting. Don't forget uh, in the opening here, just trying to remind people and trying to be consistent with reminding people to please, if you are listening to this on a podcast service, such as Spotify or something like that, um, please leave us a review. Let us know how we're doing. If it's anything less than a five-star review, then reach out to us on uh, Messenger on Facebook. Let us know what can, what can we do to get to five stars. If it's something like, I don't believe the Bible, I don't like any of this stuff, there's probably not much we can do. But if there are some things that we can do to improve that star rating, we'd love to, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, when it comes to anything on social media, the, the, the podcast, if it comes to uh, YouTube, if you can do all the things, like, share, uh, comment. Comments tend to be really good to, to, to boost the video and the algorithm. And, but most importantly, most importantly, and I mean this from the bottom of my heart, share the podcast, share the YouTube uh, episode with people that you believe will benefit from this. There is there is a great opportunity that you, know, you don't have to go preaching to your coworkers or your uh, family members or whatever. Uh, or maybe there's people you'd like to strengthen and like to encourage in the Lord. Send it to them. Let them uh, benefit from it as well. Always, always, you can hit us up on Facebook uh, Messenger. Just go to uh, Breadbreakers Church, and you can, uh, any questions you might have or topics you'd like to see covered on the podcast, feel free to let us know there as well. Uh, so, I want to dive into something. I'm currently in the middle of a uh, of a kind of a two part series uh, preaching on Sunday mornings, and we're going into the Book of First Kings, talking about uh, Elijah and the the confrontation on Mount Carmel. And uh, during the study of this, there there was a piece of it that I wasn't sure if I want to weave it into into the message or. Uh, how I wanted to handle it. And that's one thing I love about the extra things that we do, such as this podcast, because I can take something that maybe I don't want to lengthen a a sermon on a Sunday morning where we're already going, you know, 45 minutes or an hour or however long and uh, add another layer of something to think about or preach about or teach about. Instead, I can just use this podcast, take 30 more minutes cover it there. And, uh, that way it it just kind of things fit and flow a little bit easier. So, uh, because of that, I would encourage you to go and watch or listen to those, uh, messages as they, as they come out, because you'll get uh, the broader scope of this. I think this is something that God, well, I know this is something God has laid on my heart. And I think it's something that he will, um, use to help people to grow. I've had a lot of feedback off of the first sermon that I that I did. Uh, just a lot of people, just man, that was amazing. Just 
opening my eyes to things and um, really encouraging folks to to be true disciples of Christ. And I love hearing uh, feedback of what what this does to people and how it changes people and how it helps people. I'm not going, I don't preach or do podcasts or anything in order to uh, elicit or solicit feedback. If I feel that God has said something or he wants me to teach on something, I just do it. And if I get zero feedback, okay, uh, I wasn't doing it for the feedback. But I do like to get positive feedback. Uh, I also get negative feedback. And uh, that I, I sometimes have to take with a grain of salt because sometimes the negativity is coming because someone really their heart needs to change and it's negative because it hit them in the way that God wanted it to hit them. And they're just, the, the response maybe may not be what God wants. I mean, he, maybe he wants a uh, turning and repentance and they'd rather just lash out. Other times I get sort of constructive criticism uh, in the approach or maybe, you know, maybe it, it was a little harder than what it really needed to. And, and I, I take that, pray about it and always want God to, uh, make my approach better if by better that means aligned more with him. Uh, what I mean by that is not to back down on things, not to ever water down the things of God or to uh, make things lighter and fluffier than they really are even in the Bible. But when something comes from God and is a message that's going to go out to somebody, there's always a human element. There's a human vessel that's coming through. And if that human vessel can do things to better their approach and make that message that's coming from God uh, more well-received or not do things to hinder the message from God because of their approach, I don't see anything wrong with that. And I do uh, I do try to uh, take those kinds of things into account and just be better and better uh, as a messenger of God uh, as, as I can. So that said, we are going to get into something that it, it might rub some people the wrong way. It might enlighten people to, to, to realize there's, there's this aspect or element of the Christian walk. And some people might realize it's there, but maybe be emboldened to, uh, take a stronger stand and realize, no, I'm, I'm actually, this is actually how I should feel about these things. So we are in first Kings chapter 18, as I said, and toward the end of the account of uh, Elijah versus the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel, uh, we get to uh, verse 40. So this is after they've had the confrontation. No fire when it comes to Baal. The fire of God comes down uh, when Elijah gives his simple prayer. And everybody's like, whoa, okay, Yahweh is the true God. Verse 40 goes like this. And Elijah said to them, Seize the prophets of Baal. Let not one of them escape. And they seized them. And Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon and slaughtered them there. Now, this is uh, might, might sound a little rough. you got 450 prophets of Baal already licking their wounds because, I mean, their grandiose display was nothing more than... Uh, smoke and mirrors, and no fire from heaven. They're already feeling bad about themselves. They're already feeling some kind of way, as they say. And uh, Elijah said, no, 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 no. Everybody knows now that these are false prophets, that they are serving a false god, that they are setting up a false idolatrous worship system and supporting 
an evil governmental regime, right? You got the you got the evil spiritual idolatrous aspect in the spiritual realm supporting a tyrannical evil state or government. This is all throughout the scripture. You can see this. Uh, this is how it works. Uh, we we are going to have some kind of government in, in the earth. When I say government, I mean civil government. There are many different types of government. There's family government. There's your individual government, right? Governing yourself. Then there's family. There's ecclesiastical government, which of course is like you know the church. But you're going to have some form of civil government, and uh, we could get into what what kind is the best and that kind of thing. And I, I really have thought about doing a series diving into some of the different types of a government, how they line up with the Bible or not, and uh, kind of detailing them and kind of looking into them. But I think, I mean, that that's a, that'd be a labor of love, uh, a lot of reading and, and studying and things, not just the Word of God, but also on, on the different philosophies of government and stuff. But I, I think it'd be really cool. I think it would open a lot of people's eyes to to uh, civil civil government. Anyway, so you got this evil civil civil government, Ahab, Jezebel, the whole system, supported by the the uh, evil uh, demonic worship system of Baal, uh, and, you know, and Ashtoreth and all that stuff that comes with it. But uh, Elijah's like, no, 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 we're going to eliminate these guys. We're gonna we're gonna purge uh, the 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 land of this evil and this wickedness. When you get to, uh, I think it's, I think it's in second Kings, uh, kind of chapters eight through 12, somewhere in there. we talk, and it talks about Elisha and, uh, how he anointed Jehu to, uh, go and kind of rid the land of, of once again, Baal worship, right? Cause the people of Israel were constantly doing this, right? Oh yeah. Yahweh is God and get rid of Baal. And then, you know, 40, 50 years later, they're back to worshiping Baal. Um, but we see the same thing. Jehu went through and eliminated. I mean, he killed uh, two kings, one of Samaria, one of uh, one of Judah. He uh, eliminated the the all the prophets and the worship system of Baal. He he uh, uh, killed or, or he had the the city right. He besieged the city and said, "Well, if y'all don't want to be destroyed, kill all the seventy sons of Ahab and and send their heads over in baskets." Right? <laughs> you know, I want proof instead of proof of life, I want proof of death. And uh, all this stuff went on. This is, this is something that's like, well, man, is this, this is just, is this, is this, is this poor form? Is this them going too far? Was this, and, and I think, I think what happens is we forget, we forget as people of God, we, we do forget scriptures like some of the ones I'm getting ready to go through here. I'm going to start with Psalm 9710. And just just the first part of the of the of the verse. Um, well, no, I'll just read the whole thing. But the first part is the is the real crux. Psalm ninety seven ten says this: "O you who love the Lord, hate evil. He preserves the lives of his saints. He delivers them from the hand of the wicked." I think sometimes. Sometimes we are so wrapped up in the truth, the truth that we are supposed to be loving. We are supposed to be the love of God, the light of the world. We are supposed to walk in love as the people of God. That I think sometimes, just sometimes, we forget the opposite side of the of the love coin is, is hate. 
And if you love some things uh, scripturally, then you're going to hate other things. Um, if you love the Lord, there there should not just be a, well, I kind of wish evil wasn't there, but, you know, there, there should not be a tolerance uh, of evil. There should be a hatred, a hatred of um, evil. And I think sometimes we forget that, right? Uh, we should be quick to love. We should be quick to be people of love. We should definitely focus on, on, the, on the love aspect. But uh, again, I think that sometimes we forget that there, there is a very clear scriptural mandate for the people of God to hate evil, to hate evil. Psalm 119, 103 through 105 uh, is where I'm going next. And this is a portion of scripture. Psalm, 10, Psalm 119, 103, I think is very popular. People will probably recognize it. Um, verse 105, even more people will recognize that one. But right in the middle, Psalm 119, 104, right? It's just right between those two popular verses. I think very f much fewer people know this one. They know the verse before, they know the verse after, but they kind of miss this verse. All right, now I've set it up, I've teed it up, I got to deliver, ready? Psalm 119, 103. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Right, a lot of people know that scripture. Right, how sweet the word of God is, you know, to to my taste, it's sweeter than honey. Then verse one hundred five says this: Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Now, many many people know that one, but sandwiched right in the middle is verse one hundred four: Through your precepts I get understanding; therefore, I hate every false way. Right in between, right. Your word, they're, they're so sweet, right? Sweeter than honey to me. Your precepts are where I get understanding, and so I hate every false way. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. The word illuminates. It gives understanding. It gives uh, light, right? It gives clarity, direction. And because of that, there's a hatred that I adopt the hatred for the things that are counter to that word that is so sweet to me. That again is the element that I think a lot of people are missing or don't, don't realize it's okay to have that. That thing that turns in your stomach when you see things that are contrary to the principles of God, Sometimes we we suppress that. Oh my! Not, I shouldn't have that. I shouldn't have this like, uh, this 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 feeling of animosity toward wickedness. No, you, no, we should. We actually should. There should be something that turns in our stomach when we see things that are evil, false, false and evil. Right, wicked. All of these things, as defined by 
the word of God. We don't just define them ourselves. And uh, you might see I have my, if you're, if you're watching, then you can see I've got my little uh, coffee mug here. It says, I can do all things through a verse taken out of context. <laughs> Love it. Uh, and you'll see, you know, judge for yourself, go, go and read these verses yourself and uh, hit me up, message me. Am I taking these out of context? I don't think so. I think the people of God need to have a an abundance of love, but we need to have hatred of some things. In the book of Revelation, uh, we find the... Nicolaitans. And the Nicolaitans, there is some debate as to uh, you know, who, who they were, what they were, what they taught, because um well, because there's just not a whole lot written about them in the in the Bible. Um, but if you go to Revelations 2, Revelation. Did I say Revelations? <laughs> Revelation 2, 6. This is, uh, this is where John is writing, right, to the angel of the church of Ephesus, right? I know your works. and uh, But then he, he commands repentance. He talks about things they need to correct. But he says this in verse 6. Yet this you have. Right? This, this is to your credit, is what he's saying. Yet this you have. You hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Uh, you hate the works of the Nicolaitans. You hate the works of of the Nicolaitans. And then in uh, verses, uh, let's see, 14 and 15, or specifically verse 15, says, so also you, this is to uh, the church in Pergamum, says, so also you have some who hold the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Right? So these are whoever the Nicolaitans were, and I, you know, I've got some thoughts on that, but we're not really talking about that right now. But what these things were, were doctrines and teachings and ways and thought processes that God hated and that the people in Ephesus hated and God commends them for it. That they hated some things. Folks, when something is contrary to God and His Word and stands in opposition to God... If you love God, then you will hate. You will hate those things. That just is a biblical truth. Uh, Proverbs 8.13 says this, The fear of the Lord is hatred of evil. It is hatred of evil. Pride and arrogance and the way of evil and perverted speech I hate. Pride and arrogance, the way of evil, and perverted speech, I hate. Book of Wisdom right there, Proverbs, lets us know that if we fear the Lord, we revere the Lord, then we will hate evil. 
Sometimes it, I think it's easy to say, I love God. Oh, I just love Jesus so much. But if there's not an accompanying hatred of the things against Jesus, I would question if that love is even legitimate. Again, why would I question? Because the Bible says, if you really revere God, you will hate evil. If you are really following, right, Psalm 119, we just read it. If you're really following the word of God, his precepts, then you will hate evil. If you love the Lord, Psalm 9710, then you will hate evil. So we can identify and evaluate ourselves, others, a denominational belief system, right? Not just by what we love, because didn't Jesus say that you'll people will know you? Your people will know you're my disciples by your love for one another. But there's a again the flip side of the coin of love is hate, and so there are things that you can see that people hate, and you'll know whose side they're on. You'll know who they are by things they hate as well. Now, again, we lead with the love. The love is the chief, the primary indicator. Uh, go read 1 Corinthians 13. There is a, uh, a profound, I think profound, just absolutely beautiful focus on love, true love. The true love of, uh, of God that should stem from or flow from the believer. But because of that love for God, because of that love, there are things we will hate. Hebrews 1, 8 and 9 says this, But of the Son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God your God has anointed you with the oil of gladness above your companions. Now, isn't that interesting? Um, therefore, right, because what? Because what? Now, this is a quotation from the book of Psalms. Uh, Psalms 45, if you want to go check that out. But in Hebrews, he is reiterating this, making his point by reiterating the Old Testament scriptures. You've loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. Therefore, well, why has, has this anointed anointing come? Because you've loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Not just because you love righteousness, but because you loved righteousness and hated wickedness. There are some things that the people of God, should hate. Now, we already, now you might be thinking, well, yeah, a lot of this is, you know, just Old Testament. Well, I, I did read from the book of Revelation, and that is not uh, Old Testament last I checked. So it's not just Old Testament teaching that now we're in the New Testament, now we're the church, and now we're just love and, 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 and just, you know, just walking around, just love, just oozing from us. Um. Because, yeah, biblical love, it requires 
It requires measuring up to the definition of love that we find in the Bible. Uh, I find it interesting when people talk about, you know, uh, say law or commandments or things we find in the Word of God and try to like, try to make those in opposition to love. Well, yeah, you know, you've got your, you've got your commandments, but I walk in love, you know? Mm. Well, you're just, uh, you know, those people over there, they're just judgy and, you know, they're all about word and all that, but I'm, I, I am about love. I'm a real disciple because I'm about love, right? Well, how, how, how would you even know? How do you know how to love? How, how do you know how to properly love? How, how would you, how would you define that? If you have two people and one person says, well, I think love looks like this. And another person says, I think, lo-. I'll give you an example. Uh, there's a big church in, uh, in Georgia that uh, has, has been over the years leaning more and more into the LGBT uh, debate. And uh, a couple of folks that, you know, pe- pe- witness to the to the church itself, attended a conference that the church held, and their observation, they, they went to the conference, went to the day sessions and all that stuff, and they basically said that the church uh, did not openly come out and say, hey, you know what, God has no problem with LGBT at all, and uh, it is no longer a sin, it, we got it wrong all this time. They didn't really go that far, but all the speakers that were there, people, well, not all the speakers, but the speakers that were there, uh, many of them were were uh, homosexual or LGBT affirming themselves. The books and materials they were promoting were LGBT affirming, meaning affirming meaning that these people believe it is totally okay to be homosexual uh, and also a Christian. That there's no contradiction there. All right. So let's say you take someone that says, "Hey, you know what?" Mm-mm. Uh, you you can't be homosexual and also a, a Christian, a true biblical Christian, a disciple of Christ, because Christ taught that that's a sin and you can't just openly live in sin. And then you have another person that says, "Hey, I'm a Christian as well, and I I believe that you can. I believe the LGBT lifestyle is is perfectly in accordance with Scripture." And these two people are in conflict, right? Well. Both of them claim to be loving Christians. Both of them claim to love God, and they have, I mean, diametrically opposed belief systems. All right? Which one is truly loving? Which one is the one that's that's truly loving the way God wants people to love? The only way you know is to go to the Bible. What does the Bible say on this matter? What does the Bible teach on this matter? So... There's no conflict between the commands of God and being loving. There's nothing, nothing wrong with loving people and also commanding repentance and standing on the law of God and standing on the on the commands of Scripture. These are not in conflict. They mesh like puzzle pieces. They just fit right together. They are part of the of the same system. The only way to know how to properly love is to go and read the Bible and find out what God says about love. Otherwise, when we say, you know, 
well, Christians should love or we should walk in love. All they're doing is putting in their humanistic, their personal belief as to what love should look like. And that is making themselves God, basically, right? If we talk about things like love, then we need to know the biblical definition of love. And according to the biblical definition of love, when you love God, for instance, you will hate evil. You will hate wickedness. When you love God's word, you will hate things that oppose God's word. So, no contradiction, no problem. And we go to the book of Revelation, and you have Jesus commending, approving, applauding a church who hates certain doctrines, right? Then, when we go to Matthew 6, and many people know this, right? You can't serve two masters. But look what, look what is actually said. Matthew 6, 24 says, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You can't serve God and money. Who you serve determines two things. It will, it will determine who you love and, or what you love, and who and what you hate. That, that is very important, and that's right there in red letters in the New Testament. Uh, no cherry-picking of scriptures or anything like that going on. It's simply a sort of a survey of various scriptures in the Bible to show that there is harmony within both Testaments, that there is harmony within the Word of God, and that when Jesus came, he didn't abolish a need to hate the things that are evil, things that are contrary to God's Word, things that are uh, evil defined by God, things that are uh, wicked defined by God. These are things that a true disciple, one who loves God, loves his word, a just true disciple of Jesus Christ, these are things that they should hate. Wickedness, evil, false doctrine, for instance. Uh, Romans 12.9, I think we'll kind of wrap it up with this, this verse here. But Romans 12.9 says, Let love be genuine. Praise God. And what's the next phrase? Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. And that word abhor uh, means to utterly detest. <laughs> I mean, it's a pretty strong, pretty strong word. It means, yeah. You detest it. Now, I don't know what your definition of hate is or what your understanding of the word hate is, but I would say to utterly detest something, is to that, that's what hatred is. Okay? So, let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Abhor what is evil. That is Paul writing to the church in Rome. Um... And, and telling them, this is love. This is real love. This is what it means. Now, again, some people find it, find it difficult uh, to 
to, to get this, this down, to understand it, because we live in this culture that is so like, you know, affirming and relativistic and like, oh, you should just be love. And, but we have to define our terms. Yes, Christians should be love. We should walk in love. But who determines, who defines, how do we, what's the definition of that word, love? We need to define it scripturally. When you go to the scriptures, you find out that God, when he defines love, says, oh, and that means there are things you will also hate vehemently. The New International Version says love must be sincere, hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Uh, The NLT says it this way, don't just pretend to love others, really love them. Hate what is wrong. Hold tightly to what is good. So, uh, different versions of the Bible translate that word abhor. I was reading the ESV uh, differently. But, uh, let's see, the, the, the NASB, the New American Standard, says detest what is evil, right? Getting to that utterly detest definition. But all of them are very clear. This, this means to hate it however you want to define hatred, right? To utterly detest something, that's hatred, okay? And we know that again from uh, Revelation chapter 2, from uh, Matthew chapter 6, that there are things that the people of God will hate because of their love for God and His ways and His Word. When, When you love God so much and His Word so much, you love Jesus so much, when something stands in opposition there's a teaching that is in opposition to the words of Jesus. There are lifestyles and behaviors in opposition to God. You will hate that thing. You will not want that thing. Let me close with this, all right? We close with that scripture. Let me wrap it up with this. In hating evil, we are actually more truly loving others. Because is it loving to go soft on something, a lifestyle, for instance. A person is in a lifestyle that is sinful, separating them from God, and ultimately will mean their eternal damnation. But not just eternal damnation, often these lifestyles, often things, uh, uh, ideologies, uh, lifestyles, and things that are against God actually are destructive in this life as well. So here we have something that is self-destructive in this life and eternally damning. Is it loving to just go with the flow and be okay with somebody in that? Or is it more loving to call that out and say, hey, you need to repent. Jesus wants you to repent. Which one is really more loving? Now, one of them is more difficult than the other. One of them may get may get you, you know, some dirty looks or, or fewer friends, quote unquote friends, than the other. One of them uh, may have our society looking at you as a bigot, but it's clear which one is more loving. Is it more loving to let somebody drive over a cliff in their car? Or to try and stand in the way and stop them and turn them from that destruction. Uh, Obviously, it's more loving to try and turn someone from destruction. And even if that means hurting their feelings, even if that means bringing some some shame or guilt or uh, 
conviction upon them. But that's okay, because the guilt, shame, and conviction of God is meant to get them to turn and repent and come to what? Life, eternal life. So that's why we can say confidently, to love God is to hate evil. Why? Because evil separates people from that God that we love. To love the word of God is to hate falseness, to hate evil and transgression and hate wickedness. Why? Because that wickedness is pulling people away from that truth, that word of God. It's as simple as that. And so that's why when we go to the Old Testament, we see the the uh, confrontation on Mount Carmel. This is why people like Elijah and people like Jehu said, all right, now it's time to rid the land of this evil and this wickedness. All right. Now, that's not a call for Christians to go beyond their Christian prerogative and Christian duty and, uh, uh, you know, a call to arms or anything like that. You know, a mass uh, revolution, bloody revolution. Christians don't do that. Uh, secularists do that, right? You just go look at the French Revolution. But Christians don't. Uh, Christians do, however, hate evil and call people to repentance because of their love for those people. We identify, we hate evil, and we identify it, and we call it out and bring truth to it because we love God, we love His Word, we love Jesus Christ. So, hopefully this has been helpful to you. Hopefully uh, you'll go and read these scriptures, digest them, uh, hit us up with any comments that you may have, and once again, leave us that review on Spotify, uh, like, share, and comment on YouTube. We love you guys. God bless you. And we'll catch you on the next podcast.